Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and we are back after a record-breaking few days at the Women's World Cup, a tournament that continues to provide talking points and intrigue. In the studio today, we're joined by the Tottenham goalkeeper Chloe Morgan. Down the line from France, from the Sunday Times, we also have Rebecca Myers, plus women's football reporter for The Times, it's Molly Hudson. Later on, we'll be reflecting on the biggest win in World Cup history and VAR rears its head. But we start with the Lionesses, who prepare to play their second group game against Argentina on Friday night. Phil Neville's team looking to make it two wins out of two in France. Tony Duggan, a major doubt for this game. Neville had said he expected her to be fit for the Scotland game. That wasn't the case. Molly, do you know what's going on here? I think we might know a little bit more this afternoon because it's Phil Neville's pre-match press conference. So I imagine he'll give us a little bit more detail then. But from what we know, which isn't a huge amount, I'm going to be honest, is that perhaps it's a little bit of the same case of it was with Demi Stokes. Perhaps the knock has turned into a little bit more of an injury. But he's he's been making it very clear, you know, he expects everyone to be fit. He doesn't want to rule anybody out. So I think perhaps, you know, as we said before the first game, perhaps, you know, he will just rest her. And we're lucky in the fact that, we do have quite a, a strong depth in our squad, so that it shouldn't be too much of a miss. But obviously, for Tony, it must be so disappointing. And he should be thinking that she'd be fit for the first game, and now it's looking like she might not even play a part in the second. Yeah, so we're waiting to find out what's happening with Tony Duggan, Chloe. But we know England are well-equipped in the attacking areas, that's, that's for sure. But is it a bit of a risk if they're just saving her for the knockout phase? Like Molly said, we do have a massive depth in the squad. We've got the likes of Nikita Paris, who, as we've seen in the Scotland game, can run rings around around players, going up that right flank with the, the pace of, of a Porsche. On the left-hand side, you've also got Ellen White, who's, who's obviously scored a, a fantastic goal, sort of pouncing on the mistakes of, of the Scottish defence. So I think, in a way, even though Duggan obviously would have strengthened the squad in a big way, I think with Nikita Paris, the likes of Jill Scott as an, as an aerial threat, I think, uh, and, and Georgia Stanway as well, um, I think she's going to want to get a lot of game time. She's a youngster wanting to show herself. So I think even though Duggan's out, I think I, I, there are still big things happening with the, with the England front line. Rebecca, do we expect Phil Neville to rotate his side then on Friday night for the Argentina game? And if so, who would you like to see given a chance? Absolutely. I mean, at this stage, it's become something we're very accustomed to. It's almost sort of more surprising if Phil were not to rotate his squad. He's very much about giving different players um, a shot and, and really hasn't had like a kind of key starting 11 at any point. Um, I was at a game, one of the friendlies, and another reporter asked me who I was expecting to start. And I ended up sort of saying, I, I really don't know at this point. He'd, cho- he'd chosen so many different players. Um, I would I would really like to see some more game time for Beth Mead, some, some more reliable starting from her. Um, she hasn't sort of historically always started, but I think she has well earned her place in a, in a starting lineup now, and she's just been fantastic. Um, likewise, Leah Williamson, um, quite a lot of contention for sort of her area of the field, for her position, for where she sort of 
the role she plays in the in the formation. But she's just a brilliant player, and um, and I, I wonder whether he might actually start her um, against Argentina. I think he will, and I'd like to see that. She was fantastic at the Jubilees Cup. <laughs> Sounds like you're in a very uh, exciting place, Rebecca, right now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but we should point out you're in a cafe, aren't you? Enjoying the uh, the local surroundings am, as to where you are. I, I am in a cafe and there's some very enthusiastic French waiters. So um, <laughs> as much as I'm trying to keep it on the uh, a bit quieter in the corner, it's, uh, it's not quite working out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chloe, who would you like to see play their part then on Friday night? I'm loving what Nikita Paris is doing for the squad at the moment. Her enthusiasm, her passion, her, her energy is, is fantastic. Um, I'd love to see a lot more of Georgia Stanway. I think she's got a lot to uh, a lot to deliver with the squad. I think she's got a lot to not not to prove necessarily. I think she's already done that with her season at, at Man City and in, in the FA Cup, and, and um, the season that she had has, has been incredible. But I think I'd like to see the link up between them two greatly. Again, it's not been the best start for, for Debbie Stokes, obviously having having an injury herself. So I think it'd be quite good to to try and get her back into the squad. And I've heard rumours is perhaps that, that, that Telford could be making a, a start in that game as well so, so that would be great and I think Barsley would be sort of saying quite amicably that, that she'd be happy for, for Telford to do that for the game so I think that would be great because she's had um, definitely a great season so. mm. and Millie Bright has been wearing a sling after coming off in that game against Scotland um, Molly do you know what her status is? Again it's, it's been played down and I think that you could tell after the game they wasn't overly worried about it I think it's one of those where as Rebecca's just said there's, there's a chance that Leah Williamson will get to sort of make higher mark on the tournament. And if so, whether Phil really rotates and he goes for Leah and Abby McManus or whether he goes for Leah with Steph, I think, again, with that squad depth that we have, there isn't the pressure on Millie to really come back if she isn't ready, particularly because, obviously, we've got that Japan game on the horizon that is so important. And you envisage that Steph and Millie will will be our first two centre-backs for that game. So I think, you know, again... The same with Tony, possibly the same with Demi in the last game. Perhaps if she isn't 100%, still has that opportunity to rest her and make sure that she's really ready for that Japan game because that's so, so important. Well, England versus Argentina is a fixture with so much background and significance in the men's game. But Molly, for those that aren't aware, that's not the case with the women's team, is it? No. Um, for Argentina, it's, it's very much a case of you know being extremely, extremely proud to be here even to, to have actually made this tournament and I think I don't, I don't know how much people in the UK have seen of, of Argentina so far but I tuned into the Argentina-Japan game over here and and it was amazing like Argentina were giving absolutely everything and I think that's that's a sign that we've seen of a lot of the lower ranked countries in this World Cup that yes they, they might not have the star quality and the big names although obviously Argentina have Benini who, who was amazing in that game but what they do have in this tournament that maybe we haven't seen in previous Women's World Cups is that they have the organisation now. They have the coaching and the ability to actually sit back and really be able to defend. And I think with the US tiling game aside, that's something that a lot of the lower rank nations have done. And I think, you know, that will be very much a part of Phil Neville's thoughts this afternoon and going into that game tomorrow. We know exactly what we're going to get from Argentina. We know that they're going to sit back. We know they're very physical. The 50-50s, they'll go into everything. And I think, you know, the fact that they don't really get too much support from their federation, they're only just off the back of this tournament getting a professional league. I think, you know, they're really fighting for their futures. They're fighting for for the future of Argentinian women's football. And I think, I think that makes them very dangerous opponents. And I think... You know, they'll be so desperate to really build on that Japan draw, which was amazing. 
But I think they'll want more. They'll, they'll, they'll want to try and, and take points off England as well. And I think, you know, it's absolutely crucial we get an early goal. It could be very difficult if we're, if we're sat at half-time and it's still 0-0. You mentioned that uh, draw with Japan. Argentina claimed their first ever World Cup point as a result of that. Kira Walsh spoke about that. Uh, Rebecca, can Argentina upset the odds? Absolutely. I mean, it's really not impossible to to imagine them holding us to a draw. I, I think... I'm hoping that they wouldn't go as far as to, to, to beat England. But, yeah, they, they're certainly not the Argentinian team that we thought we knew, that we had imagined when we drew them in the group, you know, um, all those months ago. I think when we drew them in the group originally, we sort of thought, fantastic, great, you know, not that difficult a team. But like Molly said, they, they've got all this organisation they haven't had before. Um, they've got this sort of real, like, gumption to win on behalf of women's football in their country. They're very physical. I think they could, like, really prove quite challenging and, um, and really dangerous, especially Especially even just from an injury point of view, if we've got some players playing with some knocks already, they're a physical side. And we shouldn't forget, of course, Chloe, that Japan were runners-up four years ago. So if England don't beat Argentina, how big an inquest will there be? You know, Argentina are not going to be an easy side to, to break down. I think going into it, if if the worst does happen and, and we do face uh, a defeat against Argentina, I think there will definitely be questions asked as to uh, the preparation that, that went into to really thinking about them as a, as a stronger side than, uh, than we first thought. Elsewhere in France, the hosts managed to maintain their 100% record with their 15th win in their last 16 internationals. A 2-1 victory over Norway in Nice, secured by a controversial penalty given by VAR. Uh, Bibiana Steinhaus, who uses VAR every week in the Bundesliga, eventually awarding the French a spot kick after a challenge by Ingrid Engen on Marion Torrent. Uh, Opinion was split. Let me come to you first, Chloe. Was it a penalty for you? It's a very difficult decision. Um, I think we have to look at both players. I think they definitely were both almost in the wrong there. I mean, if we have a look at, at Torrance's body language when she went into the tackle, it, it did look very two-footed. There was also a high foot. I, I do feel sorry for uh, for the Norwegian player. I, I do think, looking at it, it, that yeah, there was a high foot, but I think her, her foot just carried through with the momentum of thinking that she was going to get the ball. So I do think it was a, a very difficult decision to make. At the end of the day, I think there was probably a little bit of pressure maybe to go in the, in the host nation's favour. Um, obviously, the uh, Torrent um, obviously suffered a, a bit of an injury from that. So I think it was difficult. It was a very high-pressure situation. I, I do feel a little bit sorry for the ref. Um, potentially, I'm going to err on the side of it being a penalty. Mm, okay. All right. So you're favouring the ref's decision in that sense. And no doubt, obviously, the, the French public and uh, and everyone in France who's supporting the national team were delighted with the penalty being awarded. But is there anyone in France, Molly, that have suggested perhaps it shouldn't have been a penalty? Um, I think I think it is very split. But I think what, what you have to consider is, of all of the referees in this tournament for this to happen to, Bibiana Steinhaus is the one that does actually have experience of VAR. As you said, she uses it week in, week out in the Bundesliga, and that is literally the only referee in the tournament that does that. So I think if you were to get this situation under any other ref, then you know maybe you could scrutinise the referee. But in this case, I think it's it's very much like the handball rule. It's a lot of the former players have come out and sort of said. Well, if you're in that position, where do you put your hands? And I think, again, off the back of this decision last night, defenders have been saying, well, where was Ingrid England supposed to put her foot? Because she went for the ball and she won the ball. And it was sort of like, what is she supposed to do with that foot after she won the ball? And I think maybe 
you know, it's not necessarily the fault of VAR. Of course, VAR sort of accentuates all these decisions because you're seeing everything in slow motion. And I think in a decision this tight that was that was so sort of 50-50 and the more you look at it, the more you could argue either side. Um, you're sort of thinking, well, the more you analyse it, the more you're sort of considering it. So I think maybe it wasn't a clear and obvious error that she had made in not giving it to start with. So I think, you know, it's it's a very difficult decision. I don't think VAR necessarily makes it any easier because it's one of those that is really a question of judgment and each of us could look at that and and come out with a different conclusion. If looks could kill, uh, Ingrid Engen, her face, she was not happy in any way. Uh, Rebecca, how do, you, how do you assess the role of VAR then so far at this tournament? I mean, it's certainly been uh, dominating quite a lot of the headlines, hasn't it? I was thinking back actually to when we recorded the, the sort of preview podcast for the World Cup and we all sort of said maybe the best thing that can happen with VAR is that it kind of goes unnoticed in a way. It's a non-story and, and it just goes smoothly and well. That really hasn't been the case, but, but actually I don't think it's been a bad thing. I think it's got people talking. It's got people who maybe don't often watch women's football wading in on these kind of arguments and saying, you know, actually, well, I really felt that that, that was a penalty. It wasn't a penalty. I think it's it's, as we kind of predicted it might be, it's been a catalyst for debate and conversation, which is, again, on the flip side, it's certainly been a kind of a demonstration of the teething pains of, of some of the new rules um, and like Molly said and that kind of pairing of VAR with some of the new rules is quite just really kind of exacerbates the problem um, certainly the handball or but even even yesterday that extra sort of scrutiny that you wouldn't otherwise get is um, is really yeah, changing the game on a lot of rules that we thought we we knew and loved, as it were. Um, but yeah, so I, I think we'll see plenty more VAR challenges and VAR conversations in, in the next few weeks. Chloe, where do you stand on VAR? Um, again, I, I don't want to sit on the fence with this one. Um, I think it's a, it's a very difficult thing to sort of put in place. You're going to have um, people who don't want it, people who definitely want it. At the end of the day, VAR is there to try and get more accurate and more sort of technically accurate um, results. So it's quite difficult to, to sort of argue against it, but... In a way, I suppose that there's there's also the additional argument that it, it ceases to it, it, it tries to break up the game, uh, the the drama of it. You, you know, you you obviously face with decisions sometimes where the ref gets it wrong, and then you kind of lose that kind of in the moment mentality where something's happened, the, the crowd are calling for it, the players are calling for it, and you kind of lose the, the drama of, of the sport when it's sort of you can wait two three minutes sometimes for for a decision to be made, and everyone's sort of waiting around, and it just breaks up the the flow of the game. So. But it's not it's not new. I mean, when you look at the you know even tennis, you've got Hawkeye there, so it's not new technology. And we, you know, we, both sides are subject to the decisions of, of VAR, so it is an equal. Um, it's equally applied. So, in a way, I think it's 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 clearly here to stay. So I think it's going to be one of these things of we just have to put up with it, and and it's going to become commonplace, and, and probably might um, come to more regular games. So I think we just need to to accept it and, and accept that decisions will will go in our favour and, and against us. And uh, Wendy Renard scored France's first ever own goal at a World Cup, something I'm sure she won't want to remember, but it was pretty memorable. What happened there, Chloe? Um, I think it's basically every player's worst nightmare. In a crowd, in your your host country, um, you're playing in front of all of your fans, um, 35,000 of them, in fact, and the worst possible situation happens. And I can only imagine how devastating that must have been for her at the time. 
looking back at it, and I've had a few chances to, to look back at, at the footage, I think it was just a, a pure error of, of, of misjudging where she was in, in relation to, to the goal. I think potentially she thought she was further back and therefore just pushing it out maybe for a corner just to avoid damage behind her. Um, I really can't come up with any other explanation other than maybe there was just a complete lapse really and, and sometimes that does happen I really feel for her there have been games that I've played in where you just do the wrong thing and you, you can't for the life of you explain why you've done it and it's just one of those things that happens and I think you have to also uh, remember that these women are under a, ma- a massive amounts of, of pressure to, to perform and to be honest she's been absolutely incredible in, in the competition so far so really I hope that people don't dwell too much on, on her uh, one error in, mm. in this game I think also what was quite nice to highlight was the fact that the French goalkeeper then supported her so much afterwards. Like she picked the ball out of the net, gave her a pat on the back and a pat on the head, and and you could see then she was just sort of saying uh, chin up to her, pretty much. And and I think that was probably one of the nicest things to see. I, th- I don't think that was there was too much coverage of of that particular moment, but I think that's that's one of the things that I think if you, you you're going to be in it as a team, people are going to make mistakes. Strikers aren't going to put the ball in the back of the net always. Goalkeepers are going to make errors that cost goals, and defenders are going to make errors that cost goals. And the midfield might not be doing their jobs on occasion, but as long as everyone has their back. I think that that's that's the best mentality and the strongest mentality to to go ahead. And obviously, it ended in in them winning the the game a little bit controversially, mind in the end. But mm-hmm. essentially, them sticking together was was you know one of the reasons and a big part of them mm-hmm. then going on to win the game. You mentioned there that what just under thirty five thousand were in Nice for the match. We've talked before about the lack of signage and awareness of this tournament in France. But Molly, the locals are turning out for their host nation, aren't they? They are. Um, the French culture to football is really interesting. The the way England turn out on the streets, and you know we had the whole it's coming home to the men. It's it's not really like that over here. Um, I think the journalists were actually were if France aren't winning, then the public aren't that bothered. So I think it's so so important for this tournament, for for the marketing, for the attendances that France do really do well because I think. If they do, the whole nation gets behind them and it it just becomes a lot more important, particularly for the locals. And especially because, you know, we've, we've seen real fluctuation in the attendances. I mean, for like the, the England-Scotland game in Nice, there were there were very few locals. And yet the other game in the group, Argentina-Japan, had over 25,000. And yet you would envisage that there'd be less Argentina and Japan fans coming over than there would have been, you know, England and Scotland just over the channel. It's actually very interesting how how the, the locals and France as a country have actually looked at this tournament. And I think it's so, so important that they go far. And I think the further they go, the further the excitement builds. There was extra emphasis on the French to perform after what the Americans did on Tuesday night. It was USA 13, Thailand nil. Unsurprisingly, it is a record scoreline for a World Cup, men's or women's. Uh, the USA then simply were, were ruthless. Alex Morgan scored five. There is an argument that we've had previously about Manchester City's men this season and whether or not they should take their foot off the gas sometimes, especially when you consider that some of their uh, cup exploits, uh, in particular against Burton Albion. Um, was it disrespectful of them, Chloe, the USA team, to, to not uh, ease off? Absolutely not. Um, I, I think they should have gone into that game with full force, which they, they clearly did. Um, I think everyone is, was expecting big things from the USA team, and I think they absolutely delivered. In terms of the goals that they were scoring, you know, you've got the likes of Alex Morgan, you've got Carly Lloyd, big players, Megan Rapino, um, and they want to get on that score sheet. They want to continue to make a name for themselves. They're already historic, awesome 
players that, that all of us look up to and, and for them to go out and show anything less than or to give anything less than 100% I think would have been an absolute shame. Um, I think even looking at Jill Ellis's comments after the uh, the game and her analysis, she basically said that you know to, to respect the opposition, you need to play hard. And you know she's 100% supportive of Thailand being in the competition. I mean they've done absolute wonders already. They were in it um, the last competition, so it's the second time that they've been here. And their aspirations, I think, are trying to to obviously get out of the uh, the group stages to go one better than they did before. But in terms of what Thailand have, have already achieved is, is, is massive for, for the country. Their, their men's team haven't made it to, to the World Cup at all and I think for them it's more about encouraging um, the youth, uh, women, young girls, young boys to, to try and get involved at a grassroots level. So Thailand in their own credit, whilst it the score is, is obviously devastating for them and it's it's not reflective of um, how much passion and, and effort and determination they showed right to the, the very bitter end I think when all the odds were against them. Um, but you've got to give credit to, to USA. I mean, they they didn't just go out there with the intention of you know putting together a, a few passes and stringing a few um, passes together with the intention of, of having a couple of goals. They they went out there and and they gave it their absolute best shot. And thirteen nil was an absolutely incredible, historical, groundbreaking result. So my hats off to them. Mm. Molly, did the Americans over celebrate? Personally, no. I think. It is very hard to comment until you're in that situation. I think just as somebody that plays football, even on a recreational basis, I think that, that feeling of scoring a goal, that, that's an incredible rush. And then you times that by about a million, and that's what it must feel like to play in a World Cup and, and to score in a World Cup, and particularly for some of the subs that came on. I mean, Carly Lloyd was really desperate for her goal, and you could see that all of her teammates were as well. So I think... You know, this is a World Cup, and this, for some of those players, yes, they are experienced players, but for some, that, that could be the only goal they ever score for America, or it could be the only goal they score in this tournament. But, you know, their families are there, they've come over to watch, and, you know, it's such a big moment to score for your country in a World Cup. And I think the Americans celebrating, I don't think that took anything away from Thailand, and I don't think it was aimed at Thailand at all, really. It was just the, the natural reaction to scoring. Um, and I think I feel it, I feel a bit sorry for the Americans really because they, they, they've just done their job. They've just they've turned up. They've played very very well. They've exploited the areas of weakness of the Thai team and they've scored the goals and they've they've done all they could really as they would in any other game. And I think that that is the ultimate respect to Thailand that they just treat it as any other game, as any other World Cup game. And crucially, that goal difference could actually become very really important because of course Sweden still have Thailand to play. Well, Rebecca, you wrote that this wasn't good for women's football. Is that right? Yes, I'm suddenly feeling quite outnumbered on my side of the fence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I very much understand um, what, what both Chloe and Molly have said, and, and I think it is one of those arguments where you can see all sides. Um, probably personally, I would say I thought the real kind of rampant celebrations from sort of goal 10 onwards were maybe... A, just a little lacking in class or tact or, or sportsmanship or however you want to put it. But historically, when teams have sort of really thumped another team, um, you know, we saw it in the Estonia match, for example, um, at Man City Watford, I think, you know, players will celebrate a little bit more muted, a little bit less um, as a sort of sign of respect. Um, but again, like Molly said, it might be some of those players only World Cup goal. You can never tell. Um, and also, I think it's worth reminding everyone that the U.S. are involved in a massive lawsuit for their pay at the moment. And 
that must be a really stressful thing to go through as a team. So to sort of put a scoreboard out of 13 goals, get global headlines, you know, it's, it's a chance for them to go, we do deserve this equal pay and this is why we're doing this lawsuit. Um, and as, as bad as it is for women's football in the sense that it sort of feeds the trolls who want to say, you know, well, it shows that there's no quality in the game or no depth or whatever it is that, that people will sort of say anyway. If that lawsuit comes through, that sets a global precedent um, and that will outweigh any, you know, very minor damage that, uh, that a lopsided scoreline can ever do. And Molly, we spoke about the USA there plenty, but you have been on the hunt for the Thailand goalkeeper. Is that right? I have, yes. <laughs> and I have managed to speak to her. Which is amazing, um, and we're really excited for the future that is coming out with her. So I won't reveal too much, but I would say that you know I think if anybody watched the game, and certainly from my point of view, I watched the sort of opening five minutes and went, oh my god, their goalkeeper's five foot five. That's such a such a disadvantage because you know, in the pure facts of it, it literally is. You know, there there are certain areas of the goal that. Sakiana would never be able to reach. But I think if you actually watch the game and watch the goals, I think there was maybe one or two you could maybe say she could have done better for. I think a lot of them were very, very good finishes, particularly towards the end. You know, there were shots from outside the foot. There were some really good finishes. And, you know, I think what you have to always remember for a goalkeeper, and I'm sure Clemens will back me up on this, there are 10 players that... that that have failed in terms of getting the ball before it gets to the goalkeeper. And I think Sukiana actually did a pretty good job in an awful situation. I mean, I can't imagine being on the world stage with all of those people around you and you having to pick the ball out of your net 13 times. It must have been so demoralising. But, you know, for Thailand as a whole, none of them gave up. And I think that's that's such a, such a measure of their class and their sort of work to get to this stage and how important it was for them. And how many people are inspiring and certainly speaking to Sakiana, that's that's very important. You know, football is very important and some of these players have since they were very young have moved moved out of Thailand and away from their families and Sakiana is one of those. And I think yes, the depth might not be there in some of these leagues, but for all intents and purposes, Sakiana is a professional footballer. And I think, you know, it's very easy to undermine her based or and the entire team based on one performance. But they took Australia to penalty in qualifying. This this is not uh, a really poor side. The the chance of inequality isn't as big as the 13-0 scoreline made it look. What did you make of Sukanya then, Chloe? Uh, five foot five, that is pretty small, isn't it, for a goalkeeper? I agree. I mean, it does it does definitely put you at a disadvantage compared to, to other, other taller keepers. Um you could try and say, I suppose, that you've got a lower centre of gravity. So I suppose it's you know it's easier, I suppose, to get down to, to the balls that are around you. But like Molly said, it's going to be quite difficult with, when you don't have the reach um, to, to get to the corners and, and, and to get to the, the lower balls that are sort of near the post and, and by the bar. So you're definitely playing at a disadvantage. But I think if you actually look at the game and, and her positioning and, and what she did, she did a lot of things right. She had, a, she had great positioning, um, her handling and some of, the, some of the saves was great. And actually, the scoreline could have been a, a few goals higher had it not been for some of the saves that she that she ended up pulling off so I do feel I feel sorry for it it's not it's not easy um for, for a goalkeeper having to having to fist the ball out the back of your net whether it's one two three or, or 13 times um but I mean credit to, to the entire squad they battled till the very bitter end um despite the the odds obviously being stacked against them especially in the second half uh, the Chelsea manager Emma Hayes has written in the times that the goals should be smaller in women's football Rebecca 
Yeah, I mean, not something that I think is really supported among players. Um, I know Phil Neville has sort of said in an interview that he he definitely doesn't think that's a good idea. Um, it's difficult, obviously. Certainly, I. I mean, even Phil said he doesn't have the expertise that Emma has in coaching women and 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 working with female players. I would suggest probably for me, it feels like where do you stop if you go down that road? If you make the goal smaller, do you make the pitch smaller? Do you make the ball different? I think you're just opening up a whole can of worms that will. And I think you're saying to women, it, it feels patronising, even if it's based on just pure mathematics or calculations or height, all of these things, it just, it feels wrong. Um, so I think I sit very much in, in the camp that would not recommend that. But like I said, Emma, Emma's such an expert in, in the field that a lot of people, you know, will take that comment incredibly seriously. Chloe, you're a goalkeeper. First, how tall are you? Uh, five eight, five nine. Okay, yep. so you've got a few more inches on the tie on Sukanya. Yeah. Where where do you stand on what what Emma Hayes has had to say? Um, I have to agree with Rebecca. I, I, I disagree with with um, the kind of notion of, of trying to make things smaller or easier. Or uh, you know, you could, uh, like Rebecca said, I think I think there's going to be issues there with maybe decreasing the, the time of the games and, and things like that. So I think. I think if we're going to compete and show that we're equal and we're able to perform just as, as the men's teams are, I don't think really we should be um, in a position where we should be going for um, concessions to be made on, on the pitch. I, th- I think really we need to be proving that despite the, the size of the ball or the size of the pitch or the size of the goal or however long we need to play in our, in our games, we can compete just as just as well. We're just as strong, just as powerful, just as determined and ambitious. No, I, I, I've got to say I'm, I'm quite happy with the goals the way they are. Sometimes in games I do wish that the, the goal was a lot smaller. There have been definitely occasions <laughs> where that's been the case, but I think in practical terms I'm quite happy to, to keep the, the goal the same size. Mm. Uh, well, along with France, one other nation boasts a record of two wins out of two at the time of recording, and that is Germany, their second successive 1-0 win, this time over Spain on Wednesday. But perhaps not the most impressive of performances, Molly. You look at the results and you look at what happened. Is they've got six points and they've got two clean sheets. And that is quite literally the best job they could have possibly done. And I think, you know, it's finding a way to win when you're maybe not performing at your very best. And Germany have always been able to do that. And they've always had a way to do that. And you, it's always the culture of German football, isn't it, that's often worked against the English in various various tournaments. And I think... You know, it's happening again. I wouldn't say this is the the best women's Germany side that have ever been at a World Cup because, you know, they have lost some experience in it. You know, Alma Schultz, probably one of the best goalkeepers, goalkeepers in the world. She didn't look convincing at times yesterday and she hasn't looked convincing in recent weeks for her club either. I know she's been struggling a little bit with a shoulder injury. and I think, you know, you're looking at them now, six points and two clean sheets, and you think... Whatever could they do if they actually get it together and play well? And I think that, that's got to be worrying for the other nations, looking at how well they're doing when they're not playing well, quite significantly off their best, I think individually and collectively. And I think that that's really quite worrying, looking at that team thinking, you know, they do have the potential to be a lot better than they are, and yet they already have one of the best records in the tournament. So I think going forward to the knockout stages, if they can get it together, then, uh, you know, of course, you're expecting them to do really great things in this tournament. Spain are competing in just the second World Cup. They didn't lose in qualifying. They dominated possession. So is this a bigger win for Germany than we think, Rebecca? Absolutely. I mean, the Spain team have been great. And, and you know, I think this is a sign sometimes, I think, when we talk about the women's game, especially those of us who, who have you know been covering it around the time of the last World Cup and, and some reporters even before that, 
you know, we're still talking about it as if these teams have huge, huge gaps between each other. And Spain are, you know, the perfect example of this new era where it's so much tighter. Um, even the likes of Germany can't can't get a, you know, a decent score sheet. It's fantastic. I, I love it, frankly. And, and I love that it's, you know, early days for Spain, but they're already doing so well. Um, kind of long may it continue. I think, you know, that this is this is the future of the game and it's really exciting to see. And Chloe, we're a week into the tournament. Which team looks like going all the way from what you've seen? I mean, it, it, it sort of goes without saying, really. I think USA are just looking so devastatingly strong at the moment that I think um, they're definitely going to be up there, I think, in, in the semi-finals, finals, if, if not. I mean, they're, they're, they're going gung-ho for, for their fourth um, World Cup title now. So I think they're, they're definitely going to be strong contenders. And I, I think they're, they're looking worryingly awesome, really. Uh, I think England, um, I know it sounds slightly biased, um, but at the same time, I think the, the first half particularly uh, against Scotland was absolutely beautiful to watch uh, the play that was being strung together you know I, I think there was some, some very strong performances from them um, I would have to say the back foot position or my sort of third place would be going to France which I think is probably more controversial than anything else given they're the host nation and they've played awesomely well themselves um, but I, I think th- those are the, the, my, my top three at this stage mm-hmm. but uh, yeah we'll wait and see what happens and how it unfolds We will indeed. Okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Chloe Morgan, Molly Hudson and Rebecca Myers. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday after the USA have been in action again. We wish Chile the best of luck. Speak to you then. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.